need to talk to a couple of the young men who are in college here. Let's see, I need uh, to talk to Dominic and Josiah. And where's Joshua? Josh, if you would come up here right now just very quickly. Um, they're not going to play the drums, <laughs> though they could. Um, but right about now, right about now in, in college, say five or six weeks into college, suddenly there are, especially among young men, but young men and young women, there is a kind of shell shock that hits the college students who are away for the first time in their lives and they are surrounded by 18-year-olds. And nobody tells them to go to bed and nobody tells them to do their homework and no one tells them to pick up after yourself and nobody says to them, guard your heart. And nobody says to them, watch out for the kind of friends you choose. And the stereos are blasting and the alcohol is flowing and the marijuana is available and the pornography is there. And, and, and around this time of year, there's a kind of crisis, especially for young people who come out of the church and go off to college. And uh, so Pastor Martin and I, we've been spending time, we spend time with uh, young men before they go off. We like to give them this book entitled Thriving at College. It's a wonderful book that challenges young people to think carefully about how they live their life while they're away at school. And, um, uh, and when we pray for them and we encourage them, well, uh, Josiah has found a good church. Where do you go to college? First? I go to Adelphi. Adelphi. And where do you go to church every Sunday? I go here. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> Josiah did not abandon the church, and he is an intern. He works with our youth ministry here. This is Dominic Janina. Where do you go to school? Christopher Newport University. And where do you go to church? Elevation. Yeah, Dominic is helping to plant a church in Newport News, and he's jumped right into what they're doing there. And and, uh, what else do you do uh, to just strengthen your walk with the Lord? Uh, I lead the men's lacrosse Bible study. So on his lacrosse team, where he's the goalie, there's a Bible study. And are there other Christian organizations on the campus? Yeah, there's InnoVarsity, uh, C- Campus Crusade. Yeah. And so Dominic already, as a young man, is using his leadership skills to encourage others and to grow in the Lord. This is Josh Rosero. Josh, where do you go to school? Hofstra University. Yeah, and what Christian organizations are there at Hofstra that you found? Um, I'm in the uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Yeah. And where do you go to church? Right here. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Don't you love that? You guys can be seated. But uh, I just want, as we think about the crisis and the challenge that befalls 18-year-olds surrounded by other 18-year-olds, what do Pastor Martin and I have on our hearts when we meet with and talk with these young men and women? It's this. It's Psalm 1. Emily read Psalm 1 for us. Listen to it one more time. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so you see there are two kinds of people in Psalm chapter 1. And they are placed in a sharp contrast with each other. One man is obedient to God's word. The other person is disobedient. One person lives a God-centered life. The other person lives a self-centered life. One person is following through with obedience and is receiving blessings. The other person is rejecting God's way and is facing judgment. Actually, the contrast is very clear from the first word and the last word of the psalm. The first word is blessed. The last word is perish. Quite a contrast. Blessed, what is that? Blessed means happy. And I told you a couple weeks ago, it's, 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 in, it's an intensified word. It actually means congratulations to you. Mazel tov. To you, on a road to joy, perish means to be lost, to be on a road that leads nowhere and ultimately leads to ruin. So the Christian, well, the Christian will be the one to do what? The Christian will go against the flow. I love this bumper sticker that I found. Because you see, there is a New Testament parallel to Psalm chapter 1. It's Romans 12, verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, um, the Christian is going to be the person who goes against the flow of the world. And exhibit A for us is this clash of worldviews that happens in Psalm chapter 1. Whose counsel do you listen to? And what do you pay attention to? What do you meditate on? Psalm 1 says everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a, a lens. You see, a worldview, that's a, a nice theological term for a lens that you have through which you make sense of your world. Everybody has one. You have one and I have one. The question is, what is your worldview? About 40 or 50 years ago, there was a Presbyterian pastor like me living in Missouri. His name was Francis Schaeffer. And Francis Schaeffer got so fed up with the fact that Christians in the churches just seemed so much like everybody else in the world. And he didn't know what to do about it, so he quit as a pastor and he put on some knickers and he moved into the Swiss Alps and he bought a little chalet and he started a little fellowship called Labrie Fellowship. And he invited and young people from all over the world made their way to this Swiss chalet and what he did is he essentially taught what is in Psalm 1 to 
to hundreds and thousands of people so that in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, almost every major influential Christian leader was touched by Francis Schaeffer in some form through his writings, his sermons, his influence to say you have a worldview. The question is, do you have a biblical world and life view or do you follow the way of the sinner, the scoffer, the mocker, the ungodly? And Schaefer would talk about the collision of worldviews. And then he would make the case, not only that that collision is there, but he, and, and hundreds and thousands of people were converted because he explained that the Christian worldview was not just the right worldview, but the best worldview, the way to make sense out of life. What ideas... Shape your worldview. This is really important. And the people who are leaders and people you know, you know, I, I find it so fascinating because we have some people we know who are conservative politically and in terms of their way of life. We have, know some people that would be considered left-wing and, and their way of life. And, and some people say, well, this one is Christian or that one is Christian. Very interesting. You pay attention. Uh, for example, it, let's, on the conservative side, you have someone like Congressman Paul Ryan. Many of us admire him. He had a, had a budget plan, and Ryan's a fascinating gentleman. And he would be a, a, a sort of an exalted example among the conservative side. But where did Paul Ryan get his world and life view? It's so interesting because the word is out. He gives all of his staff members to read a copy of Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, you see. Ayn Rand or Ayn Rand. And, and, and who was Ayn Rand? But a very popular, I mean, Alan Greenspan was her disciple. So many Major leaders in America, conservative leaders in America, in America were disciples of Ayn Rand who hated Christianity, who taught a philosophy called objectivism, which essentially trumpeted the ethics of selfishness. And that's just really interesting. I mean, sure, a lot of conservative Christians say my philosophies uh, seem to align there, but, but Anne Wren hated Christian Christianity and, and the, especially Christian compassion. She just thought it was weak and silly, enabling the poor to remain in their poverty. On the other hand, on the left wing, you have people and they talk about collective life and sharing and and underneath their influence are people like, and it's true, Saul Alinsky. And beneath that, Karl Marx, both men, very influential, despised Christianity, rejected Jesus out of hand, and bring their influence to community organization and to pictures of revolution. And maybe Christians have sympathy but the question is, whose worldview is shaping your worldview? That's all I'm telling you with. I'm not telling you who's right and who's wrong. 
But I have no truck with Ayn Rand, and I have no truck with Saul Alinsky either. Worldviews matter. What lenses do you wear when you think about life? It's more than just memorizing a few Bible verses. It is understanding that the biblical worldview is, is rational and right and holy, and it makes sense in a world that has lost its intellectual and moral compass, okay? Psalm 1, it says, blessed is the man, and I love this, it's not blessed is the king, or blessed is the scholar, or blessed is the athlete, blessed is the rich, no, it's just whoever you are, man or woman, rich or poor, blessed are you. And then he tells us, if you reject the way of the wicked, do you? Verse 1, in beautiful poetic fashion, point number 2, we see how the way of the wicked rejects God's way. And he tells us that you can get sucked so easily into thinking in worldly ways. He, he looked how, look how he puts it at the end of verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. What does it mean to, to walk in the counsel of the ungodly? It's just this. It's to accept their advice. And there's no shortage of advice out there in the world. How many radio talk shows are there giving you their advice? Your hairdresser, your best friend. I mean, my mother used to say, oh, I, can, I can talk to my hairdresser about anything. Your lawyer will give you good advice. Your doctor will give you some advice. Your horoscope will give you some advice. Your, you know... You don't have to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. And then there's the path of the sinner. And what this is, is it's talking about the, the, the way, a road, a direction, where you just go with the crowd because this is the way the crowd is going. And there are the fish. They're all the yellow fish. They're all swimming in that direction. You might as well join them. And then there's the seat of the mocker or the scornful. Who are they? And these are the people who have the ear of the public and who criticize the people of God and who blaspheme the things of God. And often they are the elite. They are the culturally influential people. I, I, I just find it so fascinating. I have to admit, I do enjoy the novels of one of the most popular novelists of our day, Dan Brown. Dan Brown has written, as you know, The Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown's latest blockbuster is The Symbol. And he is a good writer. But when you get to the end of those books, in subtle ways, the whole scheme of the whole story is to say, whatever you do, don't buy into a biblical world and life view. Don't be like those fundamentalists who stand on the promises of God because religion is only subjective and there are no external transcendent absolutes. And by the end of the book, he's got you, unless you're a careful reader and a critical thinker. 
And by the end of the book, you're sort of ashamed to say, but I believe the Bible. And then there's the, you see, the term wicked or does not simply mean what we think it means. It's not just the murderers and the rapists and, and the gangsters. The word means the ungodly. And that's a man or a woman, boy or a girl, who's just not, who's living without paying any attention to the way of God at all. And they do whatever they think will work for them. Listen, if cheating on a test makes the difference between passing or failing, the ungodly person will cheat because it will work in that moment for them. If uh, stealing will make life easier or a little bit better, the ungodly person will say, it's okay. And if lying to your friend will help you avoid embarrassment or a conflict, well then, we'll bend the truth. The ungodly person will lie. But you see, look at the fish in the middle there. The Christian person will not walk in that way, will not stand in that way, will not sit in that way. The Christian knows how to stay away from the counsel of the ungodly. And instead of letting the mockers mock our Lord Jesus Christ, we'll say, wait a minute, I just want you to know, my friend, I I do want to be your friend, but I want you to know that when you want to pour out scorn on those Christian people, you have to pour out your scorn on me. And just as the color guard unfurls the flag at, uh, at the baseball game before the national anthem, so you're going to unfurl your flag and you're going to say, I just want you to know I love Jesus. And you will stand against the flow. How does the blessed go? What is it like for the blessed? If, the, if God's person doesn't listen to just what the crowd says, what do you do? You don't just say, well, everybody else is doing it. What do you do? It tells us, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And this is the New Testament command of Romans 12, verse 2, as I told you, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you read? What do you meditate on? His delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word of the Lord. And it's not just, again, memorizing a few Bible verses here and there. It is absorbing the Scriptures that we talked about in the, in, when we read from the Westminster Confession earlier in our, our service, that the Word of God fits together so beautifully, and it shapes our worldview. When you do that, the roots of your life run deep into the principles and the truths of the law of God, like a towering tree on the banks of a river, and it will flourish even in the storm, even in the year of drought. You know, there's only two times in the day when you have to meditate on the Bible, according to the end of uh, verse 2. 
just two times in the day. It's, only, it's all just twice a day. When does it say at the end of verse 2, you should meditate on God's Word? Day and night. Yeah, that's right. All day and all night. But those are the only two times you need to pay attention to God's Word. But you have this sense, do you see, that what you've learned in God's Word is to shape and affect how you live all day and all night. You know, in Eastern religions, in Eastern religions, people meditate. And what's the purpose of Eastern meditation? It's to empty the mind. Frankly, I think that's unhealthy. We are not called to empty our mind. We are called to fill our mind. And what do you fill your mind with? You fill your mind with Scripture. And like the cow, I mean, it's such a powerful example. It's not very elegant. But like the cow chews its cud, he he brings up the food and he chews on it and chews on it and chews on it until the saliva uh, makes it digestible. And then he digests it. And that is what we are to do with the Word of God. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, there's this um, continual source of nourishment and refreshment. This is what it's like, friends, when God's Word is precious to us. In the senior high Sunday school class, We've now been spending our time learning how to have a quiet time. And I'm actually, I'm setting a chair in the middle of the room, and I'm sitting with the teenagers and and the past two Sunday mornings. I've just let them watch me have a quiet time. How do I do it? What do I do it? And then they comment as, as they observe. And what it's like to meditate, thinking, we call it soaping up. Soap, soap. What does soap stand for? S. Scripture, what does O stand for? Observation, what does A stand for? P, what does P stand for? Yeah, prayer. And then we journal it out. Wouldn't it be a good thing if every young person in our church learned how for the rest of their lives to soap up and meditate and feed on the Word of the Lord every day of their life? If they do, they will be like this mighty tree planted by the streams of water, and they will not wither, and they will not fail. Strength and stability, he says, come from this, and he will bear fruit. You know, friends, Jesus Christ, this is really interesting. Jesus Christ says, I have appointed you to bear fruit. I came so that you might have life and have it abundantly, and I appointed you to bear fruit. I'm sure he was thinking back to Psalm 1. And this gives us an important clue because there is a wrong way to understand Psalm 1, and you can sue me for pastoral uh, malpractice. If you walk out of here and think, Pastor John told me, all I have to do is read the Bible and then obey what it tells me, and then I will have a happy, prosperous life. Because if that's all you hear from this, then you will embrace a religion of legalism and a religion of works, a works-oriented religion that suggests that just the simple performance of Bible reading and outward obedience 
is the way to go. And frankly, then you know nothing of God's grace and nothing of His Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, what, to be the righteous man, you must be united to the righteous man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus picks up on Psalm 1, and He models it for us because He loved God's Word. When, you know, we, t- we were talking about Superman, when he needs to be refreshed, he goes away to where? Where does he go? Yeah, the fortress of solitude. But Jesus Christ, He goes away to a quiet place with His heavenly Father. And now we as Christians meet with Him. We follow His example and we meet with Him. And He energizes us. And it's out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you become this kind of person in Psalm 1. Otherwise, it's just law, 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 and it won't work. But now you're in a, Jesus has taken His pledge of allegiance toward you, so you've made your pledge of allegiance toward Him. And we tell our young people as they go off to college, you will face a parting of the ways. I really appreciate it. And there's other young people I could have called up this morning too. I really appreciated these young men who are standing like trees planted by streams of water. It's not just for college students. It's for all of you, for all of us. Because you're going to, no matter how old you are, you're going to come to a road, a fork in the road. And you're going to have to choose, not just once, not just twice, but again and again. Which path will you take? This is really interesting because you, you're going to you're going to, sometime this week, the Holy Spirit's going to say, remember what Pastor John was talking about Sunday morning? You're at a fork in the road today. Which way are you going to go? And there's the story of the Indian Christian, he, American Indian. He became a follower of Christ, and he said, but I feel like there's this war inside my soul between two dogs, and one of the dogs is a, is a, is a happy, compliant, friendly, obedient dog, And the other dog is an angry, vicious, mangy, nasty beast. And they're fighting each other inside my soul. And you say to him, well, which dog's going to win? And what does he say? The dog that I feed is the one that's going to win. And you get to the fork in the road, and the two dogs are going at it. Which one have you been feeding? There is danger if you choose the path of the ungodly. We read in verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And you remember in the story of Daniel, King Belshazzar is there at his feast, and then the judgment day comes upon him. And in Daniel 5, we, we, we read the Holy Spirit saying to King Belshazzar, You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Yeah, the way of the ungodly will perish. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't want to perish. I don't want to perish. Well, what is the other, maybe most famous verse in the Bible that has the word perish in it? What do you think of? John 3.16. Do you know that verse? 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but will have everlasting life. And yeah, Robert Frost, the beautiful American poet, he said, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Christian, we know which road to take, the one less traveled by. It's a good road. It's the way of peace. It's the way of prosperity. No, not the Midas touch where you get rich and rich and rich, but the way it is the, it is the touch of God that whatever storm comes your way, you will prosper through it. You will succeed through it. For the Lord watches over your way. No matter how old you are, maybe you're off to college. Yeah, don't just follow the crowd, but however old you are, you will, you will come to this fork in the road, and I ask you today, which road will you choose? The way of the blessed, let's commit to that now. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and let's tell Jesus we want to follow Him. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, You are the ultimate blessed and righteous man, and we want to walk in Your ways. We thank You, Lord, that You've given us many good examples to follow who, who swim against the stream and the way everyone else is going. We pray in this church family, you would give us a biblical world and life view that the lenses we use to analyze life would be shaped by the Bible and not by Saul Alinsky or Ayn Rand but by Jesus Christ. Show us your ways, Lord, that we may walk in them. We pray for our children. Help mothers and fathers to raise their children in the knowledge of the Lord, that they may walk by faith with you all the days of their life and not be ashamed to be counted among your children. Lord, this prayer is very simple. We thank you for this first psalm in the whole book of Psalms. We are grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.